When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. For the month of January, we will be featuring the novel A Non-Maternal Instinct by author Makia Burrell. To learn more about the author and the novel, check out A Non-Maternal Instinct Part 1. The link to purchase A Non-Maternal Instinct as well as her social media handles will be listed in the episode notes. If you're looking for motivation, make sure to follow her on Instagram where she posts daily devotionals. Please note that this series will contain explicit language and references. In the final episode, Colt and Tracy are in for a big surprise when Bryce and Colt finally meet and Lovey's past finally catches up with her and she gets what she deserves. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Part 4 Lovey was livid. Arlene was playing dirtier than Lovey could have imagined. She should have known that Arlene offering to keep Paisley on the weekends and her being cordial suddenly was a front. Lovey had just chalked it up to Arlene learning to play her position, finally. Imagine how her life would have fallen apart had Bryce been home to check the mail and found that envelope. She tore the letter to pieces and then threw it in the fire pit in the backyard to burn. Arlene was on the warpath to rid her son of Lovey, but Lovey was not giving up her comfortable life for anyone. Two could play at this game, and Lovey planned to win. The Explosion Tracy had arrived home with the kids as well as several shopping bags in tow. She noticed Colt's car in the garage and walked in, calling his name. When she found him, still seated in his easy chair, she noticed the stoic look on his face. Tracy instructed the kids to go play and sat down on the couch across from her husband. What's wrong with you? Tracy said, a little irritated that he hadn't answered when she called him. Colt took a deep breath, rubbing his temples. Then he asked calmly the $10,000 question. Have I gotten any interesting envelopes here lately? Tracy almost shat a brick and looked around nervously. On the table beside Colt's chair, she noticed a duplicate of the envelope this Arlene woman had sent a couple of weeks ago. She knew she was caught, so she just came clean. Yes, a couple of weeks ago. I hid it. I did not want it to stress you. It was about... 
Colt interjected and he was pissed. His voice bellowed out in a roar. I know what it was about. What I do not understand is why you had the audacity to hide my damn mail. I pay the bills in this house and you make damn sure I get every one of those. You were being sneaky. God already removed one low-down ass woman from my life and I know it wasn't for me to end up married to another one. What? You was worried that the whore that ran off with my brother and abandoned our daughter had a chance at getting back in? That was fucking stupid. Don't you ever do no shit like that ever again unless you want to be without a husband. I don't need you thinking for me. I'm not a weak man. I can handle myself. Tracy recoiled from Colt's rant as if it was a slap in the face. Tears streamed down her face as she left the room, retrieved the once hidden envelope, and returned to the living room, throwing it at Colt. She then gathered some clothes and items. Afterward, she summoned the kids who heard Colt bellowing, loaded them into the car, and headed to her mother's house. The ride was silent, but the words echoed in everyone's mind, especially dreams. She knew that the conversation was about her real mommy and that her daddy was not happy about whatever he had found out. Now she had to worry about if she was going to lose her new mommy too. She never heard her parents fight before. The future was uncertain, uncertain, and the chain of events to follow for years to come would be a true test of strength and faith in Dream's life. Colt sat in his chair for a while after Tracy left with the kids. Then he got up and poured himself a glass of scotch. As he sat and drank, he began to calm down. He realized he was angry at Tracy for hiding the envelope from him, but that most of his anger stemmed from the letter. Learning that Lovey had just moved on without so much as a call to check on her own child stirred up a rage in him. It brought up old emotions that he thought he had successfully compartmentalized and thrown away. Now, his bitch of a baby mother had inadvertently stirred up a storm in his once happy home. He had ran his wife away and all he could do is pray that it was temporary and not permanent. After another shot of scotch, Colt decided to drive to his mother-in-law's house to grovel for his wife's forgiveness. She hadn't went about it in the right way, but she had his best interests at heart, right? Driving up a dark, narrow, dual-lane, winding road Colt often used to avoid the traffic of 95, Colt's vision began to get bleary. He was only a social drinker, and so the three glasses of scotch he had consumed on a mostly empty stomach had begun to have some effect on him. Blinded by the headlights of a vehicle in the opposite lane, Colt lost control of his car. He veered off the road into a ditch and the car flipped over. In it lay Colt unconscious and bleeding. The accident was devastating and a traveler stopped their vehicle and called 911 from their car phone. Emergency crews were dispatched and upon their arrival, they cut Colt from the mangled car and rushed him to shock trauma. His condition was critical and he was in a coma with swelling in his brain. A nurse found his wallet on his person and found that Tracy was his emergency contact. The nurse was not able to get an answer, so she left a message. Consuela heard it over the answering machine and immediately called Tracy at her mother's house. Tracy forgot all of her anger and listed her mother to watch the kids and rushed to her husband's side. She knew in her heart he had been on his way to her when the accident occurred, and she forgave him. 
The doctor had told her the extent of his injuries. He had swelling in his brain and they were watching for hemorrhaging, which could kill him. It was really touch and go. They also suspected spinal damage, which meant he could be paralyzed if he survived. Tracy was terrified, but she was full of faith. She prayed and knew God heard her pleas. She refused to claim any of those grim outcomes for her husband and wanted to be the first face he saw when he woke up. Arlene. Steve had confirmed that the letter had reached Bryce's house a week ago, but her son never let on that he received it. Desperate to reveal to what his wife had been up to, she called her son and invited him to dinner that coming Sunday. She knew he would not be able to resist her home cooking and had sweetened the deal by offering to make him her famous mac and cheese. Bryce agreed to come without hesitation and Arlene was anxious to spill the tea on Lovey. She was so ready to tell it all, she did not care that Lovey would be there to hear it. In fact, she looked forward to seeing that bitch's face crack once the truth was out. Arlene lounged in her easy chair, daydreaming about ridding her son of his Jezebel wife and hooking him up with one of the saved, upstanding women from his church. She dozed off for a while, but was suddenly jarred from her nap by a huge boom. She grabbed her cordless phone and dialed 911 while she went to see what the noise was. Before she could make it down the hall, two men stormed her. Her thumb was on the call button of her phone and 911 was already dialed, so when she fell down, her thumb completed the call. The 911 operator heard blood-curdling, pleading screams, followed by several gunshots and then silence. Then she heard a male voice saying, Finish the job. She immediately tracked the call and dispatched emergency services to Arlene's address. Upon arrival, they found a gruesome scene. Arlene's body was riddled with bullets, blood was everywhere, and her throat was slashed so severely she was almost decapitated. The bullets pierced her forehead, mouth, chest, and abdomen. She was shot five times in all. It was evident overkill. Whomever had attacked her wanted to ensure her death. Despite the gruesome scene, the paramedics worked on her for a bit and then she was transported to the hospital where she was pronounced deceased. There seemed to be no leads, only a ski mask on Arlene's front lawn. The detectives that arrived at the scene later hoped that this glove and some cooperative neighbors would help break the case wide open. The Aftermath there were calls being placed to Lovey and Bryce at the exact same time, and though they both were about Arlene's murder, the content of the conversations were vastly different. Arlene, who suffered from diabetes as well as a heart arrhythmia, always wore a medic bracelet. On this bracelet, Bryce was listed as her emergency contact. This meant that the hospital knew whom to notify about Arlene's death. When he got the call, he rushed to Grady Hospital. Upon identifying her body, he dropped to his knees with grief. The pain was so unbearable, he fainted, and when he woke up, he found himself admitted to the hospital, his wife nowhere to be found. On the other side of town, while Bryce was being notified of his mother's death, Lovey was getting a call from Troy. As soon as she picked up the phone, she heard his deep baritone say, It's done. Meet me at the spot with the payment from my boy. 
She left Paisley with the nanny and practically skipped to her car, ecstatic Arlene was dead and ready to give Troy the best sex of his life. Her bloodthirst being satisfied definitely put her in the mood. Colt. Back in Baltimore, Tracy kept vigil at her husband's bedside for almost a week waiting for him to wake up. After three days of insomnia, she had finally fallen asleep, the droning of CNN apparently acting as a lullaby in the background. While Tracy slept heavily, Colt started to stir. First, his left hand twitched, then his left foot. Finally, he opened his eyes, and after his vision cleared, he saw his wife in a sleeping heap, her torso resting at the foot of his bed. He decided to let her rest, glad she was by his side and pushed the call button for the nurse. Cole had no idea he was in a coma for five days, but he knew he was thirstier than he had ever been. While waiting on the nurse, he looked up at the TV and a news story caught his eye. It was about the brutal murder of the mother of a rising football star. Cole listened intently for a name and when he heard it, his blood ran cold. The dead woman's name was Arlene Gordon the very same woman who had sent Colt the envelope busting Lovey. It all seemed very ominous that this woman would end up dead soon after disclosing personal information on his cunning baby mama. He could not shake the idea that this was no coincidence. It seemed that everyone connected to Lovey would end up either hurt or dead, just like his brother, who he had long suspected Lovey had a role in killing. The nurse came in and immediately called the doctor upon seeing Colt awake and sitting upright in bed. The shuffle woke Tracy, who immediately threw her arms around Colt's neck. He winced in pain, but reciprocated the hug. She was speaking to him while the doctors poked and prodded Colt to see the extent of his recovery, but his mind was stuck on the news he had just received about Arlene. He was so deep in his thoughts, he hadn't even reacted when the doctor announced he'd be in a wheelchair due to partial but temporary paralysis on his right side and that he'd need extensive therapy to reverse it. Colt knew he was blessed to sustain mendable injuries from such a severe accident. He felt grateful to God for this miracle, but couldn't ignore the nagging in his gut that Lovey had something to do with that woman's murder. He was going to see to it that someone heard his suspicion. Lovey. Lovey was in the throes of passionate, adulterous sex with Troy, not at all aware that her husband was in the hospital. The sex was so good that she probably wouldn't care about Bryce's episode at that moment anyway. Her adrenaline rushing at the news of Arlene's murder made this particular tryst with Troy the best one yet. The bag of money she gave Troy made him perform better than he ever had. He was excited at the sight of the stacks of hundreds Lovey had withdrawn from the bank just before she met up with him. He promised his cousin T 10 stacks of it for his role in Arlene's murder and Teeth accepted, thinking only 20,000 was being offered for the whole job. However, Troy planned to keep 15,000 of the 25,000 Lovey forked over for himself. Though they both were cunning and expert swindlers, neither of them were knowledgeable enough to know how this very withdrawal, as well as the betrayal surrounding it, would mark the beginning of their demises. After Troy passed out from their hours-long tryst, Lovey rolled up a blunt and called her marital home. 
She spoke with the nanny who informed her that the hospital had called. Apparently, Bryce had a breakdown after hearing about Arlene's death and had been admitted as a 72-hour psych hold. Lovey didn't love her husband, so she couldn't even feign concern. She just told the nanny to continue watching Paisley and hung up. The nanny assumed that Lovey was headed to the hospital, so she didn't question her instructions. However, Lovey saw this as an opportunity to spend more time with Troy, and she did. They shopped, smoked, drank, ate, and had sex the entire weekend while Bryce, a sedated shell of himself, lay alone in the psych ward. Bryce. Bryce was so torn up at the news of his mother's murder, he didn't realize that half of the money in he and Levy's joint account had been cleaned out. He also wasn't coherent enough to realize that on the day of his mother's murder and his subsequent hospital stay, that his wife was unaccounted for. He suffered from bouts of hysterical crying and angry outbursts that warranted sedation and admission into the psych ward for a 72-hour hold. No one could understand the pain he felt about Arlene's death. It took years for them to build the bond he'd always hoped for, and it felt like a cruel joke that she was gone. Although she didn't approve of Lovey, she always doted on Bryson Paisley. They spent a lot of time together. When his mind started to clear, he was clear for release. Bryce longed for his daughter and wife, for the comfort of their presence, so he called home to let Lovey know he was being discharged. He'd been so drugged up over the past few days, he hadn't known if she'd visited him or not. His call was answered by the nanny, who informed him that Paisley was with her and that Lovey was not home. She'd actually told the nanny that she was at the hospital with Bryce. Bryce was confused and angry, but he contained himself well enough to ask the staff in the psych ward who had visited him. Lovey had not come once. He contained his anger during his discharge process and drove home to his daughter. There, he waited for his wife. He had many questions and expected her to have answers to every last one of them. While he waited for Lovey, he checked the mail. There was an envelope addressed to him from a Baltimore, Maryland address he never saw before. With his curiosity piqued, he opened it. Pictures fell out onto his lap as well as two letters. The first letter was one that his mother wrote to a man named Colt Weaver. Bryce read it, and by the time he was done, he was enraged. Then, there was a note from the mysterious Colt Weaver himself. He wasted no time on subtleties or introductions, having opted to get straight to the point. Bryce, I'm so sorry for the loss of your mother. I saw it on CNN and immediately felt suspicious. Your wife is my daughter's mother, and she has a closet full of secrets. I suspect the fact that your mother uncovered them is the reason behind her murder. Lovey ran off to Atlanta with my brother almost six years ago, and he ended up dead, murdered in a manner much like Miss Arlene. Something in my gut tells me that your wife arranged both of these killings. She's a user with no problems discarding people after she's done with them. Keep your eyes and ears open. I also sent you some pics your mother has sent me. Sorry you had to find out this way. Bryce felt lightheaded as he looked at the pictures. There was his whore wife, traipsing out of seedy motels with some muscle-head pretty boy carrying shopping bags each time. 
His heart had been ripped out of his chest for the second time in four days. His mother had tried to warn him about Lovey, but he'd been too blinded by her beauty to listen. Now, he knew his wife was a user and his mother wasn't even around to comfort him. Bryce sat, cried, and seethed for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, he heard the front door open and heels clicking across the floor. Lovey walked in, humming happily, with her hair looking like she'd been having sex all weekend. Before Bryce could stop himself, he was across the room choking his wife. She'd struggled and passed out before Bryce was snapped from his enraged trance by the nanny's screams and his daughter's cries. He went to his room and closed the door while the nanny struggled to bring Lovey back to consciousness, thinking all the while about the raise she was going to ask for. It had been a rough few days for them all, except Lovey. Lovey. When she came to, Lovey sat crying and gasping for air. After a few minutes, she gathered herself enough to stand. Then she noticed the pictures on the floor, photos of her and Troy. Bryce knew, and she was caught. Afraid but angry, she fled from the house heading for the local police station. Bryce's big hands had left bruises around her neck, sufficient enough to support a domestic violence claim. Always plotting, Lovey drove, planning how she'd paint him as an abuser and take half of everything in a divorce. His time as her husband had expired. While Lovey prepared herself to give an award-winning performance at the police station, a warrant was being issued for T's arrest. Surveillance from a neighbor's home had caught he and Troy running to his car shortly after the shots that killed Arlene rang out. However, while Troy was caught on footage still masked, T's face was completely revealed. He'd been sweating like a felon in a police chase in the hot, humid Atlanta air, and after the job was done, he quickly snatched the stifling mask off. However, in his haste to get to the car, his mask fell from his pocket. The DNA extracted from T's sweaty mask, along with the surveillance footage, equaled a surefire conviction for T. However, the detectives hoped he'd crack. Most guys facing the numbers teeth face usually weren't trying to go down alone. Dream. Daddy was acting weird. He was his normal loving self with her and her brothers, but he spent lots of time on the patio in deep thought. He was starting to get around with his wheelchair, which was a relief to everyone, but being his favorite child, she noticed even the slightest change in his demeanor. When conversations lulled down, he'd get a faraway look in his eyes. Dream was only eight and didn't quite know what intuition was, but she felt like her father was thinking of someone who wasn't there with them, her real mom. When she said her prayers at night, she always made sure she prayed that her family would stay just the way it was. She knew Tracy wasn't her real mother, but she was the closest thing to a mom she'd ever had. Dream was curious about her real mother, but she hated her for leaving. Part of her wanted to see her up close, and the other part didn't care if she met her. So she couldn't understand why her daddy would be thinking of the woman that had left them without a care. Dream hoped her daddy got over it soon. Colt Colt was thinking of Lovey, but not at all in a longing way. He really had a hunch that Lovey had everything to do with Arlene's murder. His hunch deepened as he thought she also had something to do with his brother Clyde's murder some years ago. 
It was a feeling embedded deeply in his gut and he wanted answers badly. The desire for answers seemed to be taking over his thoughts until one night he finally decided to reach out to Lovey's husband Bryce man to man. Maybe he knew something Colt didn't. The first conversation with Bryce flowed freely. Bryce seemed glad to have someone to vent to. Colt learned that Bryce now knew about his wife's affair. Light was also shed on the bitter feud between Bryce's mother and his wife. Bryce told Colt about how Lovey had taken a substantial amount of money from their joint account just hours before Arlene had been murdered. Bryce had also filled Colt in on how there was now a protection order out against him that Lovey had filed after Bryce choked her out. There were now divorce proceedings going on and Bryce worried about how he would be portrayed as an abuser in court. Though they had a prenuptial agreement, certain circumstances could deem that null and void. After listening to Bryce pour out his concerns, Colt offered himself as a voice of reason. He reminded Bryce that he had proof of Lovey's infidelity and reassured him that the divorce would be fair. Cole also told Bryce that he was available to talk to him whenever he needed to vent. The conversations continued over the weeks. Colt called Bryce some days after he got home from physical therapy. Thoughts were exchanged, suspicions were voiced, and a friendship began to form in the most unlikely of places. Teeth. It had been a couple of months since he did his last job, and Teeth was confident that he had yet again gotten away with murder. However, after a couple months of big spending, his pockets were beginning to feel bare. T's payment for Arlene's murder had dwindled down to about $1,000. Being a felon, honest work came few and far between, so it was back to the trap. Teeth used his last stack to buy some coke, cooked it into crack, and hit the block. He had no idea he was being watched. About a week into his hustle, Teeth had tripled his $1,000 and was contented in continuing hustling until he hit his next big lick. Hungry, he stepped off his perch and headed to his caddy to go get a barbecue platter from his favorite hole-in-the-wall carryout. Before he could open his passenger door, a man trotted up to him, asking to be served a $20 bag. Teeth felt kind of funny as he'd never seen this scene before. The guy looked pretty clean and coherent, but T figured that all fiends started their decline from somewhere. T breached into his dip and came out with the desired package after the fiend handed him a crisp $20 bill. The money and drugs exchanged hands, and no sooner than the fiend turned on his heels was T ambushed by at least five cops. As he was tackled to the ground and cuffed, he almost passed out when he heard what he was under arrest for. Distribution was a familiar charge, but murder? He wasn't at all expecting that. T sat in the back of the police cruiser, feeling lightheaded and dry mouth. His breath came in gas. Sure, he'd been to jail on a few drug charges, but this was murder, a whole different ballgame. As the cruiser seemingly floated towards the police station, teeth hyperventilated, for life as he knew it was over. He couldn't figure out for the life of him how they linked him to the murder. When the cruiser stopped at the police precinct instead of at Cobb County Jail, Teeth knew he was going to be interrogated. He decided as the officers escorted him into the building that he was going to sing like a canary. He wasn't going down alone. He'd surely end up on death row. 
He sat waiting for the detectives and in walked two of George's finest. The larger one spoke first. Mr. Edward Todd Thurman, you know why you're here. Anything you want to tell us that may help your case? I didn't do it alone and I regret doing it at all. If I tell you what I know, how can y'all look out for me? Teeth groveled, tears streaming down his face. Stifling a laugh, the second detective replied, telling who else was involved in this lady's murder, along with your remorse, will likely keep your ass off death row. The floodgates opened, and after Teeth gave the blow-by-blow, warrants were issued for Lovey and Troy. He'd even spilled the name of the hotel they were staying in. The police were on the way. Bryce. It had been 72 hours since the interim protection order had been taken out against Bryce. He was booked for choking Lovey, but bonded out pretty quickly. However, it was during the process of getting bonded out that Bryce discovered that he and Lovey's joint account had been cleaned out the day before his mother's murder. After reading the letter from Colt and discovering his wife's slow down ways, he had a gut feeling that this was no coincidence. However, he had to keep his composure for he was due in court in a few hours to see whether the judge would grant he or Lovey custody of Paisley. Lovey was already in court, apparently to get a final protection order on him, or so Bryce thought. Bryce felt relief that because of the protection order, he wouldn't have to see his two-time and wife in court. He wasn't ready to see her until divorce court. The afternoon came quickly and Bryce went to his hearing, the nanny, his lawyer, and Paisley in tow. After waiting around for a couple of hours, the case was thrown out and it was determined that Paisley would remain with Bryce. When his lawyer told him why, Bryce almost fainted again. Apparently, your wife was arrested this morning for conspiring to murder your mother. Bryce felt like he'd been punched in the gut. The missing money made sense now. They say when it rains, it pours, and Bryce felt like he was drowning. It was that day when he started to drown his sorrows in alcohol. Cold. Bryce called early on a Thursday morning, sounding drunk and despondent. He'd filled Colt in on Levy's arrest. Then he made a request Colt never would have expected in a million years. Colt, I know we met under the most awkward circumstances, but I trust you. You may be the only person I have left that I can trust with the only valuable person I have left in my life. I need you guys to take Paisley, at least until this trial is over and I can get myself together. I'm broken, Colt, and as much as I love my baby, I can't be the daddy she needs right now. Cole could hear the torture in Bryce's voice. It reminded him of how broken he was those first few weeks after Lovey had left he and Dream behind. Except Bryce's pain must have been excruciating for not only had Lovey left him to be a single dad, she killed his mother who was his comfort and his very best friend. Surprisingly, Cole felt no confliction about accepting Paisley into his home. It wasn't the baby's fault that things were so torn up at home. Paisley couldn't pick her mom, and she couldn't heal her daddy. Besides, she was Dream's sister, despite the odd circumstances of their relation. Sure, Bryce, we'll take good care of Paisley. If you want to come up for a while before or after the trial, we'll be glad to put you up too. 
Sometimes it helps not to be alone during hard times, brother, Cole replied in a gentle voice. Colt coaxed and convinced Bryce even further to come up to Baltimore with Paisley. Something in his gut gnawed at him, telling him that it was a bad idea to leave Bryce alone in Atlanta. After an hour of talking, listening, and praying over the phone, Bryce was on board and eager to book a flight up to Baltimore. Now, Colt just had to tell his wife they were expecting guests. Lovey. Lovey sat in herself, fuming. Too evil and narcissistic to feel regret or remorse, her thoughts instead raged on Troy and his ratting cousin. It was all their fault. Troy for picking such a weakling for the job and T for being such a scary bitch. All those rap songs telling street niggas not to snitch and yet T still sang like a canary. Now she was facing life for conspiracy and another life sentence for first degree murder. She tried to place the sole blame on Troy and Teeth during interrogation, but Teeth had already painted a clear picture for the detectives. Also, they had the bank statement to match the amount Lovey withdrew to pay for the hit. When Troy found out about the mountain of damning evidence piled against him, he also rolled over on Lovey, hoping cooperation and remorse would help him secure a deal. Lovey was officially screwed. Then, more bad news came. Ballistics had matched the bullets that killed Arlene with the same bullets that killed Clyde and his workers years earlier. Teeth has some explaining to do. Faced with the death penalty again for Clyde's murder, he volunteered info about Lovey's role in that murder too. Another set of conspiracy and first-degree murder charges were added to Lovey's sentence. Without Bryce's money, she couldn't afford a lawyer, so she was stuck with an overworked and underpaid state's attorney who promptly advised her to skip a trial and take a deal which offered her two 25-to-life sentences to be served consecutively to avoid the death penalty. Lovey obliged. She was never getting out of prison, but at least she wouldn't be on death row. Prison was a hard pill for Lovey to swallow. Her cellmate was a loud, considerably larger, institutionalized ruffian named Charday. The inmates and correctional officers called her Shady for short, and the nickname fit to a T. When Lovey arrived, Shady immediately notified her that she'd be taking the bottom bunk and that the walls were already spoken for. Lovey counted pictures of at least five children who all appeared to have different fathers. This observation was correct. Shady had been in prison for three years already and, like Lovey, was never getting out. She too was in prison for multiple murder charges, but while Lovey hired others to do her dirty work, Shady was keen on doing her own deeds. When Lovey got through her first night of crying herself to sleep, Shady woke her up early with a rousing speech. Now look here, I'm not gonna be listening to that snipping and whining shit every night, so you are gonna have to come to grips with your reality. Now we can be friends or enemies or maybe even lovers cause you a pretty bitch. But if you wanna survive in here, you need to follow my lead. It's better to be on my good side than my bad side, I tell you that. Lovey extended her hand for Shady to shake, but Shady kissed it instead. Lovey shuddered inside, but felt grateful to have made a jailhouse friend. Shady was six feet one inch of pure butch. It was hard to believe that she had ever been with a man, let alone had kids. 
Lovey had kissed girls during her stripping days, but had never considered being with one sexually. However, as the days progressed and Lovey saw how much clout her cellmate had around the prison, she decided to latch her hooks into Shady. Opportunity knew no gender, and Lovey was just as much as an opportunist as she had always been. Lovey became a jailhouse lesbian. Tracy. Colt and his bleeding heart was beginning to wear on Tracy. She understood Colt's shock when it was finally confirmed that Lovey had his brother murdered. She even understood why Colt spent some evenings talking Bryce off the ledge during this ordeal with his mother's murder. But she couldn't understand why she was expected to go along with she and Colt raising Lovey's child with Bryce. At least Dream belonged to Colt, but Paisley wasn't a direct link to them other than through Lovey. She did her best to conceal her dismay from Colt since he broke the news, and either it was working or he ignored it. She'd had three days to prepare for Paisley and Bryce's arrival. She didn't really have to prepare the guest room. They had a maid to do that, but she did have to get her mentality together. She was such a ball of emotions. Part of her was smug and gleeful that her nemesis was rotten in prison, finally facing the consequences for all the foul shit she'd done. But another part of her was pity for the broken man she left in her wake. Poor Bryce was a mess, and you could hear the pain and unraveling in his voice every time he spoke. Tracy also felt worried because though Colt took the news about Lovey's involvement in Clyde's murder very well, she wondered if that would be the depth of his reaction. She also felt a mixture of inconvenience and curiosity about Paisley. She resented the child becoming their responsibility, but was curious to see how their kids would react to her, especially Dream. At the end of three days filled with emotional battling, reflection, and prayer, Tracy was more pure of heart. She put herself in the shoes of Paisley. Her mama was a murdering, no-good tramp, and her daddy was an occurrence away from a full-blown mental breakdown. The poor kid was only two. She definitely needed the stability that Tracy and Colt could provide, if only for a little while. The night before, they'd explained to Dream, Jonah, and Cody that Bryce and Paisley would be coming to visit for a while. Dream was excited there would be another girl in the house. Jonah was excited to meet a real-life football player, and Cody was too young to care. The kids' reactions further helped Tracy get on board with the visit. Colt noticed her mood had lightened because he greeted her that morning with a kiss and a tennis bracelet as a token of his appreciation. Tracy accepted it graciously, realizing that her husband must have also noticed her initial trepidation, but had let her sort through it without inciting conflict. She always got confirmation that she married a good man. Paisley and Bryce arrived on a sunny Thursday in April at 3.18 p.m. Tracy didn't know why she noticed the time. Maybe it was because Paisley, looking so much like Dream, walked right up to her and reached up to be held. Her heart melted for that baby in that exact moment. 3.18 p.m. would hold even more significance in the near future. Dream. When she saw baby Paisley, she knew it was her sister. Her parents hadn't told her yet, but the resemblance was uncanny. Dream knew her face when she saw it, for she spent lots of time in the mirror playing dress up and styling her hair. 
A small part of her wondered why her daddy hadn't told her about her sister sooner, but a huge part of her was super excited to have a sister. She wondered where their mother was, and ever inquisitive the child, she asked. It was after all the fuss died down and everyone was seated at the dinner table. Mr. Bryce, where is Paisley's mommy? Dream knew that technically, Paisley's mommy was her mommy, but she really didn't feel a connection to Lovey. Tracy was who she called mommy, who she felt a bond with. Bryce cleared his throat, floundering for a child-appropriate answer. <clears throat> well, well, baby, she's, uh... Colt interjected and gave it to the kids straight. Remember I taught you kids about jail, the place where adults go when they do bad things? Well, that's where Paisley's mommy is. Dream wasn't done with her questioning. Daddy, why didn't you tell me Paisley was mine? She looks just like me. I know she's my sister. It was Colt's turn to be speechless. He cleared his throat, almost choking on a bite of pot roast. Tracy swooped into the rescue this time. Well, baby, we didn't know that you two would ever meet. Nobody here knew where your birth mother was or that Paisley was born until a couple of months ago. Your daddy and I didn't want to confuse you or hurt your feelings. We're sorry for keeping secrets. Dream mold the response in her nine-year-old mind, carefully selecting her response. I'm not mad, mommy, but can I keep her, my sister? I can share my mommy with her since hers is in jail. Her daddy can stay too if he wants, please. We'll see what happens, baby girl. Colt had regained his voice. Dream insisted that Paisley sleep in her room. After she tucked her in like she often did Cody, Dream prayed extra hard that her sister would stay with her forever. Afterwards, she climbed into bed, positive that God listened. Bryce. Colt and Tracy were wonderful people. In the two weeks that he and Paisley had stayed at their home, Paisley seemed to blossom. She clearly loved having other kids to play with and being doted on in a normal family setting. They had dinner together every night and went to church every Sunday. The kids needed for nothing and Tracy was a doting mom and wife. They were like the Huxtables. It didn't even seem like Colt and Tracy argued. That's why Bryce asked Tracy to watch Paisley while he stepped out to gather a few things before their flight back home. But there was no flight. Instead, Bryce booked a room at a cheap hotel near the airport. He went to a hardware store and purchased a rope. Then he stopped at a cut rate and bought some vodka. He drank the vodka to work up his nerve. He wrote a detailed letter stating how he wanted to be interred, the care of his daughter, and expressing his thanks. He placed his will and a business card for the lawyer that he drew up in an envelope but didn't seal it. Bryce simply left the letter on the table. He cried and prayed. Then he felt peace wash over him. Then he hung himself from a strong beam in the ceiling. The next day at checkout time, the housekeeper assigned to Bryce's room found him. Police were called and they found his suicide note. He listed Colt and Tracy's address and phone number. They also found a notarized will leaving his assets to the Weavers, including his baby girl, Tracy. 
Just a few hours earlier, a huge package had been delivered to their door. It was Paisley's clothes and toys. Bryce had been missing since yesterday morning around 11 a.m. Though she was falling more in love with Paisley every day, she had an ominous feeling in her gut. The package felt very final, like Paisley would be there permanently. At 3.15 p.m. on a rainy Thursday, there was a knock at the door. The two detectives exchanged formalities and Tracy invited them in, chanting a quick prayer in her heart. The clock read 3.18 when the detectives stated their reason for being there. Bryce was gone. He couldn't come to terms with the grief, stress, and betrayal and saw death as the only relief. He'd come to make sure that she and Colt would care for his precious baby before he plotted his escape from the pain. Now Tracy knew why 3.18 p.m. was so significant. It was the second time Paisley reached out for her, but this time, it was permanent. Lovey. It was 4 o'clock on a Friday and the news was on. Usually, Lovey was too busy walking around with her new lover, socializing and collecting various dues from she and Shady's fellow inmates. But today, Shady needed her hair braided. Lovey chatted away while Shady drawed back flirtations in response. The conversation came to a halt when Lovey heard her ex-husband's name. She paused her braiding and listened. The news anchor reported that Bryce had been found dead at a Baltimore-area hotel Thursday morning. Lovey was shocked. Then the cogs in her brain started to turn so hard they blocked out everything else around her. What was Bryce doing in Baltimore? Where was Paisley? Could he have ended up in cahoots with Colt? There was only one way to find out. Lovey was numb as she finished Shady's braids. Shady inquired about Lovey's link to Bryce and Lovey told the story, the whole story, all the while thinking about the letter she was going to write Colt. She knew she had some audacity after all these years, but she had questions she hoped Colt would divulge the answers to. Are you still up? Girl, good night.